we're in this uh, Mood Swingers series, and I want to talk to you today about happiness. I think that the keys of happiness that the Bible gives us are not what the world would give us. And so if you find yourself in, in a place that you wouldn't call a happy place, let's talk about that. Let's see what that looks like. Paul is the one that, that really understood a lot about that in the book of Philippians, which is the joy book or the happiness book. We're going to look at that just a little bit today. You know, in my life, I've made some discoveries. I, I always used to think when I was younger that if I could just get over that hump that was right there in front of me, then life was going to begin to be good. Or some of you just waiting to get over, if I can just get over this hump. But you know what's on the other side of that hump, right? Another hump. Yeah. And, and so it just seems like it's just, and then I realized one day, finally, it took me till I was about 40, these humps, they are my life. This is my life. And, uh, you know, Scott Peck, psychiatrist, said life is difficult. And when we realize that it's difficult, somehow it doesn't seem quite so difficult. I don't know if that's exactly true, but I do know that Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, right? He, he promised us that. Even Murphy's Law tells us that inside of every big problem in front of us are a lot of little problems just struggling to get out, right? And, and so this is life. It's what it looks like. How are we going to be happy in the middle of it? It can't be based on circumstances because that's not going to work. So I want to give you five keys. Pull out your sermon notes and I want you to listen with me. I want you to write these down because this could be a life changer for you. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 18. Okay. So the, the first key to happiness that the Bible gives us is to practice proper boundaries. Practice proper boundaries. Know where I end and God begins. Now, boundaries are important in every area of life with other people at work and in, in so many areas of our life. But the, the ultimate boundary is understanding where I end and where God begins. I remember a few years ago uh, when my kids were still in the, in the house and, and, and they were teenagers and there were some things going on and I was trying to control it and fix it and work it out and make it, you know, my, my mom, who's from Arkansas, she has a word for that. She calls that finagle. She's trying to finagle it. Have you heard that word before? I, I don't know if it's in the dictionary. It's in the Arkansas dictionary, but there's a lot of words in that dictionary, you know, that, that aren't found anywhere else. But so, you know, you're trying to manipulate it, fix it, do it. And I remember I, I came home and I was really frustrated one day. And Laura said to me, she said, Mark, did you know that there is only one God? And I said, duh, I've been to seminary. I, I know that. She goes, did you know that you're not him? <laughs> okay, it got me right between the eyes, you know. And, and I, I realized that, yeah, I've been trying to be God. So that's the first thing. I am not God. Listen to what Paul says. And he tells us how God is the one who gives us the strength to be happy, to live this life. So now, my beloved, verse 12 Obey as you have always done, not only when I am with you, but even more so when I can't be. Continue to work out your salvation with great fear and trembling because God is energizing you so that you will desire and do 
what always pleases him. I want to break down that verse just a a moment for you because let's look at the last part first. This is a, a huge secret, a huge promise. Paul says God is energizing you. If you're a believer, you're not depending on your own willpower anymore alone. Because God lives in you and God is energizing you. He's the energy driver in your life. And look what he's energizing you to do. So that you will desire and do what always pleases him. When you look at that little phrase, what always pleases him. The Greek word there is eudokia. Eudokia. And it means God's good pleasure or God's satisfaction or God's good purpose. It's kind of mind-boggling to think that we can bring God pleasure, that we can bring God satisfaction. I mean, he's the eternal God. I would have thought he is totally satisfied completely in himself. And the Bible says that he is. But he also has put so much into us and he loves us so much that there's this sense that we can bring pleasure and satisfaction to him. I mean, that, that's pretty amazing. It's really amazing to me that, that God wants that kind of relationship with us and he invests that much in it that we can actually please him, that we can actually satisfy him. God's work, write this down. God's work is to give me what I need to fulfill his good purpose or what always pleases him or what brings him satisfaction. Look at what, how he does that. He says, so that you will desire, the Greek word thelo, want to, that you will want to, the want to do his good will comes from God. In fact, if you claim to be a believer but you never really want to do the things of God, the things of what scripture teaches, you're probably not a believer because God is inside of you if you have stepped into this journey with him and he gives you a want to, a desire to. And also it says, so that you will do. Energeo is the Greek word, energy. He will give you the energy to. He will give you the power to. The power to comes from God. So, so this is amazing. He says, I want you to live this Christian abundant life. And you go, I don't, uh, it just looks impossible. I don't know how I can do that. I'm going to give you the want to. I'm going to give you the power to. Isn't that amazing that God would do that for us? It really is the gospel. In fact, write this. The gospel is this. What God demands, he supplies. This great God of ours, he said, I want to forgive your sins. I want to have relationship with you. I want to walk with you. I created you and you've gotten far from me as, a, as the human race, but I want to bring you back. I want to be close to you. But did you know that if we have sin in our life and, and if there's this stuff inside of us, God is so holy that standing in God's presence would be like standing three inches from the face the very surface of the sun, we would just be reduced to ashes. So a lot of religions, what they try to do is say, well, let's try to do good enough. Let's try to get our good to outweigh our bad. Let's, let's try to be just, but God says, if you have even one little sin, it would be like you're reduced 
to ashes. So what did he do? He provided the way of salvation. That's what Jesus did on the cross. I don't understand all about it, but I do understand that in a spiritual sense, as Jesus Christ died on the cross, it wasn't just the excruciating death that was hurting him so much. It was the fact that in the spiritual realm, it was like a giant sewage pipe opened up and every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit was poured out on him. And when you step into what he did and say, I receive what you did for me there, then you exchange places. That's how God provided. He supplied what was needed for you to have relationship with him. He didn't just say, I want relationship with you, but you'll never be able to do it. Sorry. You know, he said, I, I'm not only going to say I want this, but I'm going to provide the way for it. And that truth doesn't just apply to our past forgiveness. It also applies to how he deals with his children every day. The inner strength we need, he supplies. He gives us the strength to do his will. So let us make up our minds every day to do his will. No matter what the circumstances are around us, he will give us what we need to do it. You say, well, it sure doesn't look that way sometimes. It sure feels impossible. Well, it is. It is impossible to live the Christian life without God. But we have God. So, so what is our part then, Mark? You know, what, what, what do I do? Do I just kind of sit passively by on the couch and, and, and just kind of hang out on the couch and say, okay, God, I'm just waiting for the feeling to hit me. I just need to, you know, we've talked about feelings already, right? And how unreliable they are and how you don't depend on them. Feelings are nice. Feelings are from God. But feelings always follow action. And so look what he says. He says, I want you to continue to work out your salvation. How? Obey. Just write that down. Obey. I only have one thing that I need to do. I don't need to try to finagle and manipulate and control the world around me. I only need to obey. Do the next small right step in front of me. That's God's plan. Some of you are going like, well, I, I don't know if I still get it. Let me give you an example from Jesus' ministry that I think really opens this up. It opened it up for me. One time Jesus was in the synagogue and it said that when he got there, as he was going to preach, there was a man like up on the front row and he had a withered hand. Now, we don't know why his hand was withered up, whether it's from an accident over, you know, some years past and it had slowly withered up or he was born that way but this hand was all drawn up withered up and Jesus looked right at him and he said to him stretch forth your hand now I want you to think about that a minute put yourself in this guy's place let's say that you were born with this it's been this way and your hand is drawn up like that I would imagine that the first thought that you had we always think in the Bible it's just everybody's so spiritual you know but I would think the first thought, you're, if I could do that, do you think I wouldn't have done that a long time ago? Right? But there was something about Jesus and the look in his eyes that the guy said, okay. So he strained. He pushed. He pushed forth his hand. He, he, couldn't, he knew he couldn't do it. He knew it was impossible, but the craziest thing happened. As he did it, his hand was made whole. And it was like it had never been that way. It, it, it was totally and completely healed. It was a God thing. But did the guy have 
part of it. He could have said, quit making fun of me. I'm going home now, right? He could have said, what are you, you're a crazy man. I can't do that. I would, no, he did what Jesus asked him to do. And then the power, the miracle came. And that's what God is asking us to do, to take that next small right step. Some of you, the circumstances around you, I mean, they have beat you down to a pulp. I mean, you are like, I'm done. I'm, I, let me just tell you something. God allows us to come to the end of ourselves sometimes so that we can know that it's just got to be him. And we begin to grow like we've never grown before when we stretch forth our withered feelings, maybe, and take the next right step. I feel nothing. I don't feel anything. I'm here today and, you know, I heard them saying God's never going to let me down and I feel like he's really let me down. And, and, and uh, you know, that's, that song, I, that, I don't even know if, is that a good song? Well, it is a good song. It's a, it's a correct song, but not when you depend on your feelings, it's not. God is always working for your good, no matter what it looks like. And he even allows those difficult circumstances to bring you to the end of yourself. And then when you come to the end of yourself, you know what? A lot of people think that means, well, I feel like committing suicide. I feel like it's over. I feel like I'm done. Let me tell you, if that's where you are today, don't take that, that shortcut. Because God is saying, no, that's not what I want for you. What I want for you is I want you to take the next small right step toward me. No matter what you feel, no matter what it looks like, I want you to say, God, I'm going to trust your doing something to heal me. Maybe it's of all the past hurts that I've had. Maybe if it's a lot of other things that are going on. But I believe I'm going to take this next little small right step, no matter what, and begin to move. And you'll see God work in incredible, incredible ways. We just got back from visiting uh, Sarah, my daughter in Denver, and her husband, and, and, and little Zoe, and Owen, Owen is a little over a year old now, and he is just running. He's crazy. He runs around. He is fat. He is so fast, and he can jump. He gets off the ground. He dances better than I dance. But did you know when, when Owen was born, he couldn't do any of that, but he had everything that was needed to do that. I mean, he had his little arms. He had his little legs. He had everything. He wasn't a tadpole with no legs, you know, waiting to, 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 to grow some legs so he could walk. He had them. He just didn't know how to use them yet. He hadn't developed the muscles that it takes, the coordination that it takes. And so, you know what he mostly did with those legs? He just kind of dragged them around with his arms, which is not a very fun way to get around. But now as he's grown and he's learned and he's begun to take those little steps and he fell a lot, and we will too. He began to walk, and then he began to run, then he began to jump, and then he began to dance. It's, it, it, it's just this amazing thing. But when you came into a relationship with Christ, he gave you everything that you're ever going to need to live the Christian life. But if you don't realize that, you might still be dragging a big part of you around today going like, how you doing? Well, I'm barely making it. Right? Does that, that sound like the abundant life? No. But that doesn't mean there won't be times that it feels like that, but God's trying to grow you. So trying to fix others, that's control, right? All of us that are control freaks, don't raise your hand because some of you are also liars and you wouldn't raise your hand, right? So here, here's the thing. 
Don't punch the person next to you either that's a control freak. Some of you just did that. I saw that. We try to control the world, right? We try to control everything around us. Our job isn't to control everything. That's why you're miserable, is to take the next small right step. Well, the second key to happiness is to understand that what I know is limited, but who I trust is not. Here's to me one of the most difficult verses in the Bible and one of the most powerful. Do everything without murmuring and questioning the providence of God so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent, uncontaminated children of God without blemish in the midst of a morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation. Uh Uh-oh, murmuring. The low-toned murmuring that we do uh, against God and uh, against others. It takes place kind of at a guttural, uh, a gut level, you know, an emotional level. We love to complain in our culture. I I heard about a a man who had promised his wife he'd try to start coming home early from work. He came home. It was 6.30. You know, he wasn't early. And as soon as he walked in the door, she let him have it. She was complaining and talking. It turned into a full-blown giant argument. For an hour, they argued until finally he said, Honey, let's, this this is turning into insanity. Let's just start over. I'm gonna go outside the door and then I'm gonna come back in and let's just act like I just got here. Let's just start the whole thing over. So he went out, closed the door. He opens the door, comes back in. She looks at him for a second. She says, it's 7.30 and you're just now getting home. <laughs> we like to complain, don't we? We, 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 we like to, to, to just hold on to some of these things. And, but the Bible says it's sin. It's probably one of the sins most tolerated by Christians, murmuring. And then there's the, the, the other word, um, questioning the providence of God. It's a word, we get the word dialogue from it, but it, it means criticism. There's a criticism. See, one is kind of a, a, an emotional gut thing, that's murmuring. The other one is kind of more intellectual, like if you were really, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't do it this way. God, I don't think you're good. I hear that from people that aren't believers all the time. Well, if there was really a good God, da 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 you know, and on and on and on. If I were God, and I'm going like, wow, would you just take a second and turn to your neighbor and say, I am so thankful that you are not God. Just tell, go ahead and tell them. Go ahead. Because I'm thankful that you're not God. You're thankful that I'm not God. We'd all be a pile of dust by now, right? You know? I about had it with that one, poof, you know? <laughs> but God, God is so much more than us. But the longer I live, the longer I walk with God, the less I understand him. I'll be honest with you. And his sense of timing, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get that a lot of times. And, and, and that's one of the big reasons why I question or I complain. Paul gives us just this general principle. He says, do everything without murmuring and questioning the providence of God. Now, don't you wish Paul would have like been just a a little bit easier? You know, if Paul could have just said, do most things, but that one, that's a big one. You're you're a husband, you should probably murmur about, right? No, he didn't do that. He said, do everything, everything. 
And that word everything in the Greek is emphatic. It, he's not letting us off the hook at all. You know, every time you complain, it's a slap against God's character. Every time you complain, you're really saying, if I were God, I would do things differently. The complainer has forgotten the first rule of the spiritual life. He's God, we're not. But let me tell you something. There's a great relief in that. You're never gonna be happy trying to be God because you're a terrible God. You just really are. And so when you try to control the world around you, it's going to make you and everyone around you miserable. You know, it's a hard habit to break. We're kind of discontent by, by culture. Our culture is that way. Ever since Adam and Eve existed, we, we began to, to blame others and, and to complain. I mean, even Adam said to God, you remember after they fell? They, fought, they fell on their face, they failed, and, and he God came and he goes, it was that woman you gave me. He said, if I could have just had a different wife, but there wasn't a lot to choose from, you know? And, and we started right there and it just has continued on and on and on. Do everything without murmuring and questioning God's goodness. So the world will know that you're his. You know, people ask me all the time, what is God's will for my life? If I could just know God's will. Did you know there's a verse in the Bible that tells you God's will for your life? Let me read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for you? To give thanks in everything. Now it didn't say for everything. You don't give thanks for war. You don't give thanks for cancer. You don't give thanks for racial injustice. You don't give thanks for these. But in the midst of it, I want you to say thank you, God, that you will use even what evil men have planned against me for my good, to grow me, to make me, to become what you want me to be. Key number three, cooperate with God to become who I already am. Cooperate with God to become who I already am. Again, it's kind of like the idea of Owen. You've got everything that you need to live the Christian life, but you don't know how to use it yet. You, you don't know how to appropriate it yet. Another version of Philippians 2.15 says, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. The Greek here literally says, in order that you may become. That's why I use that, because that's really a good translation. In order that you may become, well, you're already a child of God, so it's not in order that you may become a child of God. It's that you may become blameless and pure children of God. And it's so interesting because the words for blameless and pure, innocent without guile in the other version, is, uh, it's just one word, amomos. Amomos. Whenever you see a, a little a in Greek in front of a word, it means it's a negative. It means, you know, don't be that. Momus was a, a carping Greek god that blamed everybody, all the other gods, for all of his problems. And it became a word that people used to say, oh man, that guy's such a momo. Right? You know someone that's a momo? 
You know what a momo is? Someone that blames everything around the circumstances, the people, you know, God. This is why, and, and, and he says, don't be, be a momos. I want you not to be that. I want you to not be one of those people. And, and that's, that's really what it's saying here, that the children of God are not to be fault finders, not to be gripers. And when you do that, you shine in the midst of a crooked and, and, and warped generation. The word crooked there, scolios. We get scoliosis from it. You might have heard of that. It's curvature of the spine, you know. And what it just means is that society, that culture has begun to veer off. It's not straight anymore. It's, it's veering off from what it was supposed to be. There's not this line that's God's line. It's beginning to move off in a different direction. And the word warped is even stronger. It means to be severely twisted or distorted on purpose. You see, what he's saying is you live on a prodigal planet. You live on a planet that has chosen to go its own way. And the more it goes its own way, the further it gets from my way. And it's just beginning to move. But I want you to shine in the midst of that. And that's number four. Key number four. Shine brighter as the world gets darker. <clears throat> it says then you will shine. If you're, if you're a momo, if, if you're not fault finding, whining, Complaining, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Do you know when stars shine their brightest? When it's the darkest, right? I remember being in Burundi with the Batwa people and out in the middle of Africa, in the middle of the night, it was about midnight, we were dancing around a fire. They were dancing and I was doing something. I don't know what it wasn't dancing, but they thought it was funny. And, uh, you know, I was doing my shook moves that I learned as a good uh, Baptist boy growing up who's supposed to not dance or something, you know. So, um, and and uh, finally, I, I, I got over that a little bit so I can do a little bit of dancing, but it doesn't look like dancing, okay? And I was out there doing that, but then I looked up at the sky. There were, oh, it, was, it was amazing. It was incredible, the stars. Because there was no other light around. We're in the middle of the darkest heart of Africa. And you could see every star in the sky. It was incredible. That's how God wants us to shine. Do you feel like culture's getting darker? Do you feel like it's getting obscured? Do you feel like that it seems like things are going off from what God's way is? Well, this is our time. This is our time. He didn't say it was going to be easy. In fact, that's why he said, I, I don't need you to be grumbling and complaining. How many of you grumbled this week about the leadership in our country? Don't raise your hand. It's getting darker. So why are we grumbling about these things? God wants us to do something. And you say, well, I know I'm going to get active and I'm going <clears> to <throat> manipulate things. And I'm going to try to, you know, manipulate who I want into office. Like you could do that, Right. He says, I want you to shine bright, right where you are. Because as a life changes, then a household can change. And as a household changes, then that neighborhood can begin to change. And as that neighborhood changes, then that city can begin to change. And as that city changes, then that nation 
can begin to change. That state, and then the state changes, the nation begins to change, and then the world. You see how God works? He starts with you. But it's not you manipulating circumstances. It's you in the midst of the darkness shining brightly. If you're a complainer, a grumbler, a bellyacher, if you're a disputer with God, you're discontent in every little thing, you know, whether it's a stuck zipper or someone cutting in front of you, 290 in traffic or having to wait in line trying to get to church or get out of church, you know. I know I got some of you right there, didn't I, a little bit. I get it. You know, do you think that it's by accident that God gave us one tiny out? Because I've tried to get all these others and God just shuts it down every time, you know. And we can get another one if somebody has about $15 million, they told me, that we can build an overpass over on the 290 from our property. I don't think that's happening anytime soon, okay? But he gave us that one little out so that you could practice every, every Sunday, every... Isn't that something? He gave you practice. How are you doing on that, you know? Yeah, some of you, you, you get out before I even finish my last point because you're going to... You already know you're going to fail when you get out there, right? So, so if you get up before my last point today, we know why you're doing it, all right? Just, boy, I, I shut that down, didn't I? That was good. You're going to shine like the stars if you don't complain, if you don't grumble. You'll shine like the stars as you hold firmly to the word of life. How do you, how do you hold firmly to the word of life? Let me, let me just give you a, a, a little formula for that. You see... There's some things, first of all, you hear it. You hear it. Put that down, hear it. Now, when you, what you hear, that's kind of like your little pinky, though. Like, imagine I'm trying to grab hold of the Bible, and, and I got my little pinky on it. That's hearing it. You only remember 5%. If you, don't, if you didn't take notes today, then next week when you come back, you're going to remember 5% of what I said, probably the, the jokes or the funny things or something, right? The only thing you're going to remember, you're going to look at your neighbor and go, remember, you're not God, right? Or something like that. But then you read it. Write that down. That's the next finger. You read it. Go home and read it for yourself on a daily basis. Then you study it. How do you study it? You, you begin to just go through it and say, you know, God, what does this mean? What is this? You might get together with somebody else and, and, and talk about it a little bit. Then you memorize it. We had a, a, a friend when we were just in Iraq a few weeks ago, a new friend, Muhammad. He's memorized 300 pages of the Quran. 300 pages. And I thought, Lord, help me. I need to get going again on, on memorizing your, your word. Then we meditate on it. You say, well, I don't really know. How, I mean, how do you meditate on it? Let me ask you this. Are you a good worrier? Because worry, if you're a good worrier, you'll be a great meditator. You thought that was a curse, that I'm a good worrier. Well, it is a sin, okay, I'll just tell you that. But it can be something really special because you've already learned how to meditate. When you worry, what are you doing? You're just meditating on this thing over and over and over and over. You know, some of you are very OCD. Did you know that makes great meditation? Because you're OCD and you just keep but, but you got to get it on the right thing. Get it on God's word. And you begin to take that verse and you just let it roll over and over and over and over and over. 
It changes everything. You're not happy because you're a worrier. You're going to get real happy when you start to meditate on God's word. It's going to make a huge difference. And then that gives you all five fingers. You've got a firm grip. So when circumstances come that want to rip God's word away from you, God is not good. He doesn't love you. The very first thing that the devil ever said to Eve, remember, if God was good, he wouldn't withhold this from you. If God was good, you wouldn't be missing out. And, and you grab that word and you've got it and you can hold it firmly. And that's how you're going to shine. It's going to be this amazing Amazing thing. You shine by living it. You can't just hold it inside of you. You begin to live it out. If we just quietly and simply resolve to live out our faith in the most beautiful way possible, showing forth the glories of Christ in a, in a, in a truly Christian home, not a fake Christian home that can mouth Bible verses and stuff, but one that's actually living it, that there's love and unconditional acceptance where the husband and wife love each other like it talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 where they lay down their lives for each other and for the, for the kids and the children are, are raised to know and love God. The, there's, nothing, there's nothing that the world can say about that. There's nothing that the world can say. Key number five Give yourself away to the only cause that will last. No matter how you feel. Give yourself away to the only cause that will last. No matter how you feel. We're living our lives for tiny things. For insignificant things. For little baubles. When God says, I've got this big overarching thing that I created you for the purpose that I've made you for. And when you step into that, it's gonna cost everything, but that's where joy comes from, happiness comes from. Paul says, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. God wired the universe that happiness doesn't come from status. Happiness doesn't come from your salary. Happiness comes from serving. It comes from service. Even research tells us the quickest way to get out of depression is to begin to get involved in a cause bigger than yourself and to serve others. And there's no cause that's bigger than the kingdom of God and bringing people into the kingdom of God. It's the only cause that's gonna last. It's the only cause that'll be there forever. You know, even causes that you, you, you try to get involved in that seem like a good thing, like global warming. The Bible says that the earth is gonna be consumed at the end by fire, you know? So it's not, I don't know if we're gonna be able to make impact. I don't know, but I do know in the kingdom of God, that you're going to be able to make impact because people are going to last forever. It's going to make a huge difference. Where do you sacrificially volunteer on a continual basis? You know, the two big things that I hear from, from people that aren't believers, and it, it's just, I, I hear it all the time, two complaints. One is, 
if God is good and God is real, why is there evil in the world? And what they don't understand, that's because of us. See, when God gave the world, you just read the book of Genesis. He says, I give you this planet, mankind. You have dominion over it. It's yours. You rule and reign on it. Because he's trying to teach us how to rule and reign forever with him. He said, here it is. I want to teach you that. You rule and reign. Now, he didn't say, I'll rule and reign. He said, you rule and reign. And we blew it from the very first man and woman on the planet who fell on their face to you who fell on your face and all of your ancestors. And we've just this great big ball of sin. And it just, and there's evil people. And God, he, he didn't make us robots. He gave us free will. So why is there evil? Because God is evil? No, because God keeps his word. Here's your planet. I give it to you. Now he keeps stepping in and making impact in grace, or this would be a hell on earth. And in some places it is a hell on earth. But it's our fault. And then the other one is, well, what about the people who've never heard? And again, we have to look at ourselves. Jesus said way back there in the book of Matthew, he said, church, I'm giving you an assignment. You go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone in all the world, no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes. I'll be with you, but I'm asking you to go do it. We haven't finished that. We haven't done that. It's not his fault that we haven't completed our task. In fact, he says once you've preached the gospel to every um, people group, is the Greek word there, then the end will come. Then I'll come back. So some of you are going, come Lord Jesus. But there's people who never heard his name. He's not coming back before that. And it's our job to usher that back in. You see how it's so interesting. You see, grace, it's free, but it's not cheap. I was reading this week about a little graveyard in Nigeria. It's a missionary graveyard, and I'll just close with this. And, and, and there's about 60 graves there. Did you know that the average life expectancy of a missionary going to Africa in the first part of the 20th century, the early 1900s, eight years they knew they were going to die. And their children most likely would live less time than that. They knew their children would die. And yet they went. We've lost what that looks like, what that means. But there's one grave there in that missionary graveyard. And it has a man's name. And it has this number of years, about 35 years that he lived. But underneath it, it says abundantly satisfied. There's another grave of a, a young teenage girl and it says she's gone to be with her best friend and the one she loved more than life itself, Jesus Christ. There's a, another one that's a little baby and it says we plant this seed in the dirt with the hope that God will use even this to bring a great harvest of people into his kingdom. You know, when I look at that, I, I think, oh, God, forgive me when I'm complaining about traffic on 290 and I forget the great cause that, that I'm to be in, in, involved in. Forgive me when I worry about my midlife crisis when the people in the poorest parts of Mexico City have a life expectancy of 43 years and don't suffer the indignity of a 45th birthday. Forgive me. All these things, 
Let me tell you something. Happiness comes from trust. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Just close them just for a second. Don't run off. I know. It's hard. You don't want to whine in the parking lot. Do you trust his heart? Do you believe that he is sovereign? That he, do you believe in the providence of God? Or are you questioning it? You see, he's saying all of this that's in your life right now, I didn't cause the bad things to happen, but I've allowed them and I'm engineering this to make you little son of mine into all that I've dreamed of you being. Cooperate with me, quit whining. Quit complaining. Humble yourself even more. Die to yourself. And then take that next small right step into, into me and, and what I've asked you to do. Little daughter of mine, I see you and I know how much it hurts. And I know where you are. But I can tell you there's a joy that I want to just have spring up in you. That you have a, a heavenly father that loves you. That sees you. That's crying with you. That understands that. But I see the whole picture. And I'm allowing these things in your life. So that you can shine. So that you can become that woman. That amazing woman that, that I've designed you to be. That's going to be ruling and reigning with me forever. Would you just tell God this? Thank you, God, that you are God and that I am not. And God, forgive me for not trusting your heart. And let me begin to practice these five keys that Paul talks about this week. I promise you, as you do this, as you step into this, you're going to be amazed at what God does. He'll do miracles on your behalf. He'll open up doors that you've never imagined. And he'll put a deep, deep joy down inside of you in the midst of all the circumstances. And people around are going to say, what is going on with that person? Because you'll shine like a star. The rest of the world is freaked out and anxious hurting and you're going to be trusting calm happy father I ask this for us you've given us this amazing promise come kingdom of God upon us be done will of God in and through us as we hold firmly to your word the words of life and let us live life abundantly this week as we put this into practice in Jesus name amen